All right. It is show week. It is the countdown to my two-day filling stint on the Guy Gordon Show. Uh, going to be this Thursday and Friday from 3 to 5. Uh, my second fill-in solo stint. And uh, like I said, if you've been listening to this show, you know that at, at, at this juncture, this, this podcast is literally just for me to get practice to ready myself and, 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 and kind of keep working out this muscle and uh, continue to improve between fill and stints on WJR. So very excited, very excited, very nervous. The butterflies will be kicking. Uh, got good reviews last time. And, um, you know, I, my goal is just to make sure that the last show was better than the show before it. And uh, the first time I have an off show, I'm, sh- I'm sure I'm going to be devastated, but uh, I'll fight through it and try to keep getting better. So um, three to five. WJR, WJR.com. This week, it'll be May 4th and May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. So uh, listen to me while you're um, at your local Don Pablo's having a margarita and uh, having some fried ice cream. But before that, there is a deadline looming uh, tonight, 11.59 Pacific time, uh, which, let's see, hold on. So if it's 11.59 in L.A., then it would be... 1259 in Vegas. It would be 159 in Chicago. So it'll be 259 our time. Um, the deadline for the uh, writers union and the studios, uh, television studios to come to a new agreement on a new contract uh, or else there's going to be another strike. If you remember, the last strike was back in 2008, pardon me. And it lasted about it lasted about three months. It started in November of 07, ended in February of 08. Most of that time was during the uh, holiday, the, uh, the 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 holiday rerun season, or uh, the season where there wasn't a whole lot of new shows on because uh, they would take a break and play Frosty and all that stuff on TV. But uh, that was the last time there was a strike. Uh, I remember my office was affected and I'm sure there was a lot of other shows that that were affected at the time and uh the, the sticking point for this by the way let's give a little bit of background on um you know what's at stake and, and how we got here I guess every 3 years um the writers union and the television studios they they renew their their union contract and it's been smooth sailing between um 2008 the end of that strike and now uh, but now the main sticking point are, are, are two things. Number one, better streaming residuals. Uh, I follow a fellow on TikTok while the Chinese Communist Party is uh, spying on me. He's a great follow. His name is uh, Michael Jammin, and he's written for King of the Hill, Beavis and Butthead, uh, a, a lot of shows, Rules of Engagement, I think. And uh, he's a fantastic follow. And one time he was going through his residual checks, and uh, he said just by looking at the amount, you can tell if uh, the checks are from a television uh, a television rerun or, or or a streaming rerun. And the streaming residuals are like pennies on the dollar. So I think the um, the writers union is trying to negotiate for better residuals for streaming, and they want to put a stipulation in there that television studios cannot use scripts written by artificial intelligence. 
And I think that's very interesting. It seems like the last three strikes that we've seen, television writer strikes we've seen, have focused on technology. There's one in 85 that focused on residuals for home video. Um, for, for home video. Videotapes were, were kind of new back then. Um, in 2007-2008, um, one of the sticking points was DVD residuals. And now... Uh, a lot of it's centered around streaming and AI. And um, I don't blame them for the AI stipulation. I don't blame them for the streaming stipulation either. But I don't blame them for the AI stipulation because we don't know what AI is, really. All we know is that it is evolving exponentially uh, faster and faster. And I think there's a fear uh, in, in all of us Um that, uh, you know, no matter what job we are in, um, we are concerned that AI could replace us. So we might just be a, a race of people with, uh, with, with a whole bunch of technology and no jobs. I don't know what that's going to look like, but uh, I, I'm, I'm, wondering, I'm wondering how AI is going to factor into other contract negotiations across other um, industries. I'm sure the people that, uh, you know, that fund the companies and fund the productions um, or, you know, CEOs and, and management types in, in charge of any business would love to be able to offshore some of that human labor onto artificial intelligence bots, um, you know, like you're seeing at fast food places. You know, if you go to a McDonald's now. Um, there's one person working the register who's also bagging up DoorDash orders and you order at a kiosk. So, um, you know, the corporate penny pinchers probably are licking their chops at the thought of AI um, replacing human beings because um, you don't have to pay AI. It's an, an exp I'm sure it's an expensive investment up front, but once you paid it, you paid it. And you may have to uh, pay a repair bill here or there, but uh, you don't have to worry about any of the limitations of human beings. So this is the first uh, labor dispute that I heard uh, that centered around AI. But uh, you know, I wonder in the uh, during the next, uh, let's say, big big three UAW contract negotiation, if there will be some kind of uh, stipulation in there that the, that uh, there has to be human labor used. And are the corporations just biding their time um, until two or three contract negotiations from now? Them saying, "Hey, screw you! We don't have to negotiate. We've got uh, we've got a smarter child here, or ChatGPT, writing a a hit show or de designing the 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 next great car or manufacturing um, manufacturing implants. We don't need human beings anymore. Go pound rocks." Or do uh, and and I I think that's kind of the Orwellian fear that we have, is that AI is going to run amok and it's going to replace all of us. So uh, we'll see what happens. Um, three months last time didn't seem that long. Um, I think that this one, if there is a strike, is going to be a, a little bit less painful for the average viewer because um, you know there's there there's so much streaming out there that uh, we not, might not necessarily um, miss new television shows for a while because no matter how many people out there have watched Game of Thrones or Succession or 
or White Lotus or um, the soccer one with Jason Sudeikis, Ted Lasso, uh, there's even more people who have it. So I think people are going to use this as a, a, a excuse, an opportunity, I would say, an opportunity to catch up on a bunch of streaming that they haven't seen before. And uh, hopefully we get a Stranger Things, we get a new Stranger Things uh, season before the kids are 40. And uh, they're getting close because I believe at least 11 is in her 20s and she's engaged to, uh, is it, is it one, one of the Schwarzeneggers? I can't remember. My, my, my point being is that uh, the kids in Stranger Things are already young adults uh, playing young teenagers. And there's only so much time left uh, for this writer strike to be resolved um, before they're too old to play their roles. But uh, I don't think it will be quite as bumpy of a ride. And I wonder if the television studios are going to use that as leverage. We'll see. I haven't really done a whole lot of polling on this show, but I came across a couple of interesting ones. Uh, the first one is uh, an, an Associated Press NORC poll. Not sure what NORC stands for. Um, but it has to do with Americans and how much they trust the news media. And I'll just read a couple of highlights here from the uh, uh, Associated Press article on it. Uh, nearly three-quarters of U.S. adults say the news media is increasingly, I'm sorry, is increasing political polarization in this country. And just under half say they have little to no trust in the media's ability to report the news fairly and accurately. Um, and while trust overall in the media is low, a majority of respondents say the media is doing at least somewhat well in covering issues that they care about. Four in ten um, respondents say the press is doing more to hurt American democracy, while only about two in ten say the press is doing more to protect it. An additional four in ten say neither applies. And obviously Republicans have a less favorability than the news media, than Democrats. So it sounds like it's about a 60-40 split. 60% of the American public say, yeah, it's fine. 40% say, uh, I don't trust it, and it's not doing a great job, which uh, the majority still trusts the news media, uh, but 40% is a staggering number. And I'm wondering if this poll, I wonder if this poll has differentiated between news media, like uh, like your Lester Holtz, like your David Mears, and opinion media, which is your former Tucker Carlson's, your your Sean Hannity's, your uh, your Jake Tapper's. And I wonder if I wonder if those those opinion shows are being counted as the news media as sowing division because um, because that's what they're designed to do. I mean, the news is supposed to be who, what, where, when, why, and how, and mostly our locals do that, and mostly the uh, evening newses do that. Um, but then you turn on your CNNs, you turn on your MSNBCs, you turn on your Fox Newses, and uh, you have a a, a five-panel angry Zoom call yelling about what the outrage du jour is of the day. And hell, there was even a lawsuit settled um, the other week um, by Dominion against Fox News for doing this exact same thing. So 
Um, I, th- I, I wonder if maybe they should have used opinion media more so than news media because the lines are blurred. I mean, once upon a time... Bill Bonds would read the news, and at the end of the show, he'd do a little commentary and would say, commentary there. Now it's all there. And now Fox News has opinion um, has opinion programming on, um, pardon me, most of the day. CNN, what does that stand for? Cable News Network? Let me double check that. What does CNN stand for? Yes, it stands for Cable News Network, just like Fox News. The majority of its programming is opinion. So I think maybe these uh, these cable opinion outlets, I mean, that's why I should call them, not cable news outlets anymore, cable opinion outlets, should change the name because the name of their, um, their very product is misleading in and of itself. Um, this Axios poll, kind of it's kind of related it shows that uh it's an axios poll says uh, america's youth fears for the future and and some of the numbers this was done by uh harvard i believe harvard did the poll yes harvard kennedy school institute of politics uh 48 percent of americans between the ages of 18 and 29 says they've felt unsafe recently 21% 21% say they felt unsafe at school. 40% are concerned about being victims of gun violence or mass shooting. 73% believe that homelessness could happen to anyone. And 32% of those respondents fear that they could one day be homeless. And uh, I feel like I, I, I feel like every generation of teenagers or people 18 to 29 once they're kind of looking down what the real world is, they get they get outside of their kind of safe suburban high school bubble and and see just how terrifying the real world is, both from a current events uh, standpoint and uh, everyday life. Um, they get very fearful. I mean, I remember back in uh, 2003 when I was graduating high school. There was a lot of things, uh, you know, looking ahead 20 years, and you're not very optimistic for the future. Uh, we had 9-11. We had the war in Iraq. Um, it looked like the United States was faltering as the preeminent superpower in the world. And here we are 20 years later, and we're still here. So I guess if, uh, if, if for any reason I bring this pull up more so than any other, is to tell these kids that, yeah, the world looks like a scary place, and uh, back when I was 18, graduating high school, 18 to 29, you know, I was in seventh grade when Columbine happened. It was the beginning of sort of this era we live in now of mass shootings that seem to happen every week. So back then, it was more of an outlier that could never happen to us uh anywhere near home that stuff happens far far away and in just the past two years it's happened really close to home so that's another fear that i think these young people are dealing with (sighs) pardon me a fly through my mouth gross (coughs) right as i was (coughs) right right as i was breathing in hold on Ugh. Ugh. oh gross i don't know if i swallowed it or not but it flew right in my mouth as i was taking a breath so that's another thing to add on to the 
to the list of fears for 18 to 29 year olds. A uh, fly flying into your mouth when you're doing a podcast. Uh, what was that? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, back to what I was saying before I was invaded uh, orally. Um, yeah. So so you know this fear of mass shootings is very internalized and it is hitting close to home because it's literally happening everywhere. But I will say that every generation is terrified of the future. You go back to Vietnam, you go back to Korea, you go back to World War One and World War II. And at many points in our history, the future has looked bleak. But here we are. We're still here. Um, you know, all these, uh, I remember when I was a kid in the late nineties, I would watch all these Y2K apocalypse, um, television shows and I would say, well, this is what's going to happen. And this is what's going to happen. And life as we know it will end. And in that respect, I think I've lived through three or four apocalypses. I've lived through nine 11. I've lived through a pandemic. I have lived through multiple wars and uh, it looks like uh, we're in the middle of another war with Russia. All this stuff, if you would have told me in the year 2000 would happen, I thought we'd all be dead by now. And we're not. And I don't say that to be insensitive to anyone who's lost a loved one to any of these things. But these things have all happened. And humanity is still here. All right. Now that uh, we're all bummed out, I think I'm going to skip the story about First Republic Bank being seized by the feds and sold to J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, you know, I'm going with an optimistic tone. Hey, if you're a First Republic base uh, bank customer, your money is safe. And uh, if you're J.P. Morgan Chase, you just became uh, bigger and more profitable. So congratulations to everyone involved. Uh, congratulations to the transfer portal, I guess. This came as a shock, and I did, uh, I, I did check with some of my more plugged-in sports buddies to make sure that this was a shock. Uh, yesterday, Michigan State quarterback Peyton Thorne, who's been a two-year starter, he had record-breaking season back in 2021, um, of course bolstered by the Kenneth Walker, the third Heisman caliber season. He is entering the, uh, the, the transfer portal, and this came as a shock, even though reading into the situation, uh, I've been kind of unplugged uh, from MSU football because last season was a rough watch and uh to to be to be honest and to be fair Michigan although annoying was a much be- better much more uh exciting product to watch but uh he's entering the uh transfer portal mostly because uh coach Mel Tucker has not uh committed 100% to him being the starting quarterback for a third season this next fall and it's going to be really interesting to see how Coach Tuck navigates this. Uh, I think we're still trying to figure out what kind of coach we have in Mel Tucker. Um, caught lightning in a bottle with the aforementioned Kenneth Walker III. Um, so Michigan State has greatly benefited from the transfer portal. And I don't know. We'll have to see how painful of of a loss this is. They also lost uh, wide receiver Keon Coleman, the leading receiver, who a lot of people thought that Michigan State was going to build their their offense around this year. He's gone. That might actually turn out to be a more devastating loss to the Spartans. Um, Peyton Thorne, like I said, he, he had a great season in 2021, but he also had quite an escape valve. 
um, in Kenneth Walker the third. So we'll see. We'll see if Tuck if Tuck is the coach that we thought he was back when he uh, signed that that huge um, contract extension after the 2021 season, or if he's just the guy who made a, a good bet on one really good running back from Wake Forest and that uh, he's not quite ready to play with the big boys. I, I, I hope he is. I like Coach Tuck. I like the uh, the swagger and kind of the stoicism of him. Um, he's kind of a personality, a larger-than-life personality within himself. And uh, it, look, as somebody whose parents went to Michigan State and I had to suffer through the 90s with uh, Michigan being good and Michigan State being bad and Michigan fan just being insufferable. It was a lot of fun to watch Kenneth Walker III and Peyton Thorne just just stomp all over the Big Ten and stomp all over the University of Michigan. But uh, that may have been beginner's luck. It might have also been uh, evidence that uh, Coach Tucker is a uh, master of the transfer portal. Time will tell. Um you know they came on. They 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 got came off to a rough start last year. They got off to a rough start, and they were kind of battling back. And then they choked in that game against Indiana, and they just missed the ball game. Uh, if they m- miss a ball game for a second straight year, does that mean Tuck's out? Is Tuck already on the hot seat? We'll see. We'll see. Um, and why don't we end this show with a little bit of good news? A a, a little uh, a, a little television and radio news tradition called the kicker it turns out that a man from california has become the fifth person cured of hiv um guy named paul edmonds this is from usa today after navigating hiv for more than 30 years along with a leukemia diagnosis that came in 2018 life-saving stem cell transplant became available to mr edmonds thanks to a donor who had a rare genetic mutation that makes the body resistant to most strains of HIV back in 2021. And he went off his HIV medications, which um, seems like it'd be a big, giant gamble, especially because I think this man is, he's 67. And so he went off his uh, HIV medication in 2021 after um, after he had the uh, uh, stem cell transplant, and he's HIV-free. And this is great news. And uh, HIV AIDS, still a scary diagnosis, but it's not the death sentence we thought it was once upon a time. Um, I think it was 92 when Magic Johnson um, revealed that he had HIV and AIDS, uh, due in part to a lot of fidelity on his part when he played on the Lakers and he was an NBA superstar. And I forgot which other superstar refused to play on the same court as him with uh, the fear of catching it from, from, from him getting cut open and, and you know, blood-borne transmission. I think I know who it is, but if it's not this guy, I don't want to p- put those words in his mouth. Um, but it was a controversy, and it was scary. And I remember there was a lot of after-school specials and, and, and basic uh, made-for-TV movies about HIV and AIDS back then. And from what I understand now, um, PrEP, which is uh, uh, stands for something like preemptive prophylactic. I apologize if I got the wording wrong, but essentially it's it's something you take 
so that uh, if you are exposed to HIV and AIDS, um, you're less likely to contract it. There are therapeutics that uh, make the viral load found in body fluids so low you can't even detect an HIV or, or, or AIDS virus. And I guess if uh, you're undetectable, you can't spread it. So there have been great, great strides against HIV and AIDS over the decades to where it's not the death sentence that you, you think it is anymore. I mean, this gentleman was living with it for more than 30 years, and it sounds like he was doing okay with it until he caught leukemia. So a little good news to end the, mar uh, the Monday morning project. Talk to you tomorrow.